You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and this is the Comedian's Comedian podcast, bringing you a pre-pandemic special episode. I mean, it wasn't special. I mean, it was no more than usually special when I recorded it. Um, But now it remains the last pre-pandemic bit of audio I have. So if you don't want to hear any more about the Panny D, as my wife has called it, and I've uh, tried to popularise that, um, then feast your lug holes on this Uh, Lug holes to American listeners is an old English word promoted by the Queen. Um, Get stuck in. This is a wonderful episode recorded at the Cape Town Comedy Festival in South Africa with Alonzo Bowden, who is a a force of nature. He's he's strikingly tall and muscular and has an innate authority. And you think, I bet he rides a motorbike. And he does. So he's one of those guys. I saw him hosting the uh, the show a couple of times, um, the, uh, the the late night, the dirty show, and uh, the danger zone. It was called, and um, and we talk a little bit about hosting and what that means to someone who's used to being an act, and um, and the way in which he does it. And I think the reason I mention that is to give you some sense of the the just unshakable authority that Alonso has over a room. He's been doing comedy for a good while and learning the whole time. And we'll talk about how he learnt, with whom he learnt, and some of the things he picked up along the way, as well as delving a little bit into his past. We're going to talk about why alternative comedy doesn't exist. He's going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about his initial struggle to connect with black audiences, which I thought was absolutely fascinating. Um, And we're going to talk about being 31 years sober from some extremely serious addictions. 30 minutes of extra content if you're in the Insiders Club, including the story of Alonzo's extraordinary missed break after he won season three of Last Comic Standing just as the show got cancelled, meaning the final was never aired. That is a trip up of Goldsmithian proportions. And we're also going to talk about how Terry Crews beat him to the punch in a big movie role. Also, how to go up next at a lineup show where you're following someone who is an absolute superstar. So all of that and more uh, on the extra content from this episode at the insiders club uh, go to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders to find out about that this is alonzo Bowden. so here we are at the uh, the cape town comedy festival how are you enjoying the danger zone alonzo Bowden? uh it's a surprise and it's very cool because when they first asked well when i got the email saying you're hosting the danger zone i thought they expected some kind of you know hardcore dirty sex show or whatever but it's actually just a regular comedy show i think they call it the danger zone 
because this is a somewhat conservative society. Yes. So it lets them know that in this show, like on your show, I don't know how much you guys are cursing. Yeah. But in our show, you can curse so you could talk about whatever. Uh-huh. But, uh, yeah, I'm enjoying the danger zone, living on the edge. How are you enjoying hosting? You know, uh, hosting is something that I have fallen into. I never, like, I never intended to be a host. You know, when you start out, right, you, you, you host some shows, and then you move up. You move to the middle. You move to headliner. And then I started getting asked to host bigger things, and I'm good at it. So it's cool. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with it, you know. Uh, I host a lot of things for Just for Laughs. Uh, their awards show and uh, their Bermuda thing every every year. And I've hosted some TV shows. So I've just fallen into that role. It's cool. I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. With respect to the fact that, obviously, uh, you've been booked to do a job. I'm hosting the, uh, the right, UN show. Right, you're hosting the UN show. My feeling about hosting is, like, this is all well and good, but I'd rather be doing a set. Yes. See, now, I um, like I said, I've fallen into it and I'm used to doing it. So I can't even say I'd rather do a set like I can do either one. I can do either okay. one okay. as long as as long as it's a good show. I don't like hosting the never ending shows yeah, because right. then you can't leave. You know, yeah, then yeah. when there's like nine people doing five minutes each and, and stuff like those are pain in the ass. But. Um, yeah, this one, it's not bad. And actually, I'm doing as much time as if I were doing a spot. So Yeah, yeah. I remember someone, a Canadian comic years ago, saying to me, his, his thing for hosting, like in a regular club circuit kind of way, he said, do a good job, but not a great job of hosting. He said his tactic was to walk on and, uh, and say, good evening, how are you all doing? These are the rules. Okay. And then just start doing half of his set. You know, yeah, some like do the that. implication being you get the booker to go, oh, this person should come back and do a set next time. <laughs> I was taught that the host, your job is to welcome them to your house. Yeah. Welcome them to your house, set the table, and then go. But what's very interesting is the host position is different culturally. Go okay. On. In mainstream or white comedy, the host is kind of the support that keeps it going, blah, blah. In black comedy, the host is a star of the show, and everyone's a guest on his uh, show. Yeah, and friends, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you think, to, if you look to like Def Jam or or whatever, the host is the star, and the host does the most time. The host does, you know, time up front, and then time in between whenever he or she wants and stuff like that. So, I think my hosting technique is somewhere in the middle of those two. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, as someone who's hosting the show tonight, I'm very pleased to hear that I'm the star. I'm like, oh, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It is one of those things in um, in comedy where you can affect a sort of mental, you can kind of reframe the job. Like, I, I always feel, not with specifically with this, uh, this show at all, but when I host, like, I know it's within my skill set. You know, you say, like, right. I just kept getting asked. There's clearly something about you which is, which bookers or promoters think is particularly suited to it. Flexibility. Flexibility or gravitas, in your case, you have an yeah. enormous amount of authority on stage. Yeah, and thank you. And I also, I can work in the moment. There's nothing that's going to happen that's going to shake me. And they know that. They've seen me do it and they know, you know, like last night, we had a house less than half full 
and I told them to come to the front, and they didn't. And I just walked out there. I just walked out into the audience and started going, like, move, move. And then they were like, <laughs> holy shit. And then they started moving. But it was it was need, it needed to be done. Yeah. You know? So um, what I've learned, and it, sometimes it takes me a minute to start doing it. And sometimes I do it right away. But what I've learned is when you're the host, you own the show. You know what I mean? So you set the tone. In other words... As a host, I'm not supposed to ask, can I do this? Yeah, okay. I just do it because it's my show. Yes, okay, yeah. You know, uh, and and watching some people, well, like, sometimes it's funny how it, and this is something with comedians, right, where they don't like that. And I get, my favorite example was when Chris Rock hosted the Oscars. Okay. And Chris started making fun of the actors. Actors don't like that. They don't have that kind of sense of humor. But Chris is like, hey, this is you hired me. Yeah, this sure. is my show. I'm Chris <laughs> you gave Rock. gave me all the authority. I'm Chris yeah. Rock, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to kiss Sean Penn's ass. I'm going to make fun of Sean Penn because Sean Penn takes himself so seriously or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah. And Chris did a, did a great job. They, they'd never bring him back. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you asked Chris Rock to be Chris Rock. Right. You know, and you look at a show like that and Chris Rock and Billy Crystal are two different hosts and Billy makes it his show. But yeah. when Billy makes it his show, it's a fun show. And it's, you know, dance numbers and Billy, you sure. know, Billy's a different personality. Yeah, than Chris. yeah. So when so just coming back to you and the way you do it, when you say um, that that you can work in the moment and nothing is going to phase you, is that presumably I mean, you're very experienced. You've been going a yeah. while. Is, is that purely down to experience or is it also down to your particular approach? Both. Both. Um, I love the creativity of comedy. My favorite thing in comedy is something that's funny. Like in that moment, it's the funniest thing that can happen, but it can't. But you can't do it again because you had this person say something or this person sitting here. Or what you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, you, yeah. You've done it. We've all done it right. You improv with a crowd. So. There's that. That's part of it. And then the other part is I've been doing it so long. There's nothing that's new. Like yeah, anything that sure, happens, sure. I've had it happen. Like the power just went out. Yeah. Done that. You know, um, somebody fell down or, or whatever. You know, I did. I was doing a show. Somebody had a grandma seizure in the room, you know, and, and they were like, Okay, and the paramedics came and they took him away. And they're like, "Okay, Alonzo, get back out there," you know. And you, so you got to follow that. I did a show once, and I didn't even realize this has happened. They're just telling me to stretch, stretch, stretch. I'm like, "What the hell's going on?" Now I'm up on stage, literally for an hour and a half. I'm like, "What the hell?" And I said, "What happened?" They said, "Oh, a drunk guy smashed a, a bottle and stabbed someone in the lobby. So we had to clean up the blood because we didn't want people walking out and seeing." Oh my god! Okay. <laughs> So you you just you know and, and obviously those are extremes, but you you with experience you just learn to deal with anything and and keep the show going, keep the keep them laughing or get them back, keep it or get them back because sometimes something happens and it's you know it just stops the show and then you got to get them back. When we uh, met at the beginning of this week, I said, "How's comedy treating you?" And you gave me a really lovely answer. You said, "I'm still finding things funny." Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I think that's something that, that when you... How long have you been going? How long? Have 27 you been years. This okay. is 27, yeah. Okay. When you've been going that long, 
you you must have noticed uh, other comics who have been going a similarly long time maybe stop finding things funny. Yeah. Is that kind of what you're oh. driving at when you said oh, it? Like, man. we, we I, sort of see that, right? You see that. The worst thing that can happen, and I see this, and you, you've probably seen it too, is someone who's been headlining a long time, and now it's not a, an act, it's a recital. Mm. And I always say, like, you could come in on the 37th minute on any night, and they're telling the exact same joke, right? And it's funny. The set is polished and it's tight. And when I see people like that, I always wonder, like, man, how does a new joke crack the rotation? Yeah. Like, you've been yeah. doing this, you know. I, I, My favorite joke is still my newest one. And I have some comedy mentors and heroes um, in this biz, as we all do. And two of them in particular, Dom Herrera and uh, George Wallace, two guys who I've been watching, like, from when I started, you know, and learned so much from. They're they're still not bitter. They're 40 years in. And these are two guys who by any rights of comedy should be, you know, multimillionaires, superstars, you know, you know what I mean? Like they, they're that good. And any comic knows it, but, but they, and they've, they're successful. Make no mistake. They've done well, but they're not bitter. You know, George's best friend is Jerry Seinfeld. Right. So, so your best friend is worth, I don't know, few hundred million dollars because sure. he got a sitcom yeah, and you yeah, didn't yeah. but George ain't bitter and and I learned from that man because this this game is not a meritocracy so you there's times when you get upset you get mad but it's still about the funny and the respect of your friends and just doing it you know doing something like this just it's just fun to do it you know it's it's like we have a thing of uh if you can't be funny be loud Right? Yeah, we right. know those comics. And then the ones, they take on a persona and they're, they're an actor playing a comic, you know. And, and, yeah, that kind of shit just doesn't, it doesn't work, you know. Like, if you're a real comic, you know, they, you got to be funny, you know. It, and, you know, we had, like, the alternative comedy movement, right? And there were some, that, like, this is where I, okay, I'll give you an example. This is why I call bullshit on the alternative comedy thing. Because the best so-called alternative comics... Tell me how Patton Oswalt is not a comic. How is Patton... Patton's a comic. What what do you mean alternative? Patton is telling you stuff. There's stories. He's telling jokes in his act. And so, you know know what I mean? So so what is this alternative thing? Um, I'm blanking on another guy's name who was a really big name. And he wore glasses and... Damn, I can't remember his name. But anyway... That kind of thing. Do you mean Mitch Hedberg? Mitch Hedberg was a thing unto himself. But you could say Mitch Hedberg. Mitch Hedberg told jokes, though. Mitch Hedberg told brilliant, subtle one-liners. He was the best at it since Stephen Wright, you know? Um, So when they say these people are alternative, I'm like, well, why? Because Oh, I see. The point you're making is that there's no need for that name. They're comics. They're just comics. The alternative thing was, was... a curtain a lot of unfunny people hid behind because okay. they, they weren't funny and then they try to say, well, I'm so hip that you... Okay, you know, that's interesting perspective. I'm so okay. hip that you're if you're not laughing, you're just not as hip as me. And it's like, you're full of shit. You're okay. full of shit because that person's funny. They're getting laughs. And, and, you know, the alternative people almost wanted to act like it wasn't cool for the audience to laugh. 
Okay. You know, okay. that's that's what I mean by bullshit. You, I call bullshit on that. Do you think that the people who were, who were kind of excited by calling themselves alt comics, do you think for them it was an attempt to distance themselves from the kind of uh, if, the kind of comedy you mentioned before? Yeah. Like if you know, if it is not funny, get louder. Like do you mean it's almost like they're trying right. well, to separate no, they, themselves? They wanted from, to separate themselves from traditional, say, traditional setup punch. Sure. kind of comedy or storytelling. Now, the alternative part, and I, I talked to some comics in New York who were part of it in the beginning, and they said, no, man, we called it alternative because we weren't working in comedy clubs. Yeah. They were like, we couldn't get up in comedy clubs, so we were going to, I don't know, bookstores or mm-hmm. coffee shops or something. So it was all... T- so, in other words, they were they were doing comedy and being funny, but they were yeah. doing it in a different space because they couldn't get on stage in the traditional spaces. And I respect the hell out of that. I did that in the beginning of my career. Am I an alt comic? Because in the beginning of my career, I used to get up in the back of bookstores because L.A. only has three major stages. You know, New York has... 10 mm. or more. L.A., you got the improv, the comedy store, and the Laugh Factory. When you're starting out, you ain't getting up in any of those. <laughs> so you go into, you know, the coffee shop or, the, or this or that. And then Largo became its own thing. And I was part of a bar scene called Dublin's that became its own thing. And that's that's all cool. But And I'm just using that as an example. But, but what I mean is, as a purist, you know, comedy, you, you got to write and, and you go on stage with an idea and you make it funny and you get the crowd. And I'm not saying you got to pander to the crowd, right? You don't have to do dick jokes or some dumb thing to pander to them. To, the, to me, some of the greatest comics, people didn't laugh, but the comic knew what they were doing. And it took years for, that, for the mm. crowd to catch up. You know, we were talking the, the other day, we were talking about Maria Bamford. Sure, yeah. It took time for the crowd to figure out Maria Bamford, but she knew who she was and she didn't change that. And Maria has been brilliant and funny and I love her. You know what I mean? But it was like, to me, that's hard when when she was doing it and they didn't get it. Yeah. You know, and but they caught up. Did you as you were learning to become a comic, did you have times of kind of going, they need to catch up with me? Or were you always able to catch them up with you straight? No, I'll tell you the um the the thing that was difficult for me, see I started in ninety three. Def Jam was the biggest thing in comedy. I'm a black comic who's not Def Jam. Yeah. I'm not from the hood. I'm not I'm not and this is where you talk about keeping it real, right? Being honest. I'm not gonna go up there and pretend I'm from the hood. I'm not gonna pretend, you know, I I, I used to joke about it. Yeah, I I had both parents, they both had jobs. I grew up in, you know, suburban Queens, working class black suburb. We had a garage. We had a backyard. Like so, so I'm not going to go up there and pretend, yo, man, fuck the white man, and I'm from the right. No, <laughs> were, not were people doing that. Were people pretending? Yeah, there were people faking it, they, okay. and they fell off quick. But, but that wasn't me. So I'm doing this more mainstream, and some would say more white comedy, and dying a horrible death in black rooms because black rooms want Def Jam and I'm not that. And there were a couple of uh, veteran comics who were very cool and they said, man, keep doing what you're doing. And they were like, these guys wish they could do what you're doing. Okay. You're writing, you're talking about shit. They were like, keep doing it. You know, Cedric the Entertainer was one of them. And, And when you're a new comic, that helps a lot because you're like, man... I'm I'm dying in front of my own people. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and I'll tell you it was funny when I really knew that I had it, right? Um 
I was at the Laugh Factory. This is after Last Comic. I'm at the Laugh Factory just hanging out in front of the club, and this brother walked by just in full thug gear, you know, pants sagging, giant hoodie, you know, shades, and he just looked at me. He said, yo, man, that white girl shit you did was fucking hilarious. And I was like, I'm in. I got him. If he's laughing at me, I got him. He remembered a bit I, I did about white women. and um, but, but you know what I mean? But that felt good. That that really felt good. Because so so in the, asking, sorry, just to zoom yeah. in on what? Why did that feel so good? Because just to, just dig a bit further into that. Into because that now here. because now I've connected with this hardcore crowd that I didn't think I don't know if I should say I didn't think I could get that I didn't initially connect with. Yeah, okay. you know, like Dave Chappelle did a joke about it. You know, Dave Chappelle had this joke about doing Def Jam, right? And he was like, "Man, the first time I did Def Jam, I was scared to death." And Dave, this, Dave's already a star, right? And he goes, mm. and he said they didn't like me. And then I said, uh, "I kicked the bitch in the pussy," and they loved it. You know, and that, that's Dave. And and <laughs> but I knew what he was saying because this was a, this was a crowd that you know it's like the first time I did the Apollo. Yeah, and when you go to the Apollo, you want to talk about scared. This is a place that has a history of booing you off stage. And when, you know, and I go to the Apollo, we're downstairs. You don't know who's next. They come to the top of the stairs and they call your name and you go up there. This was a show called the Apollo Comedy Hour. And they would have a music act and then a comic and then a music act and then a comic. So during the music act, all the comics don't know who's on next. Right, you don't know who's next. You're just <laughs> down. Seems like a sensible way, to right? Do it. <laughs> and and it's, it's the Apollo, right? So I'm I'm like, oh man, I you know, so. Uh, and they told us at the beginning. They said, look, you got like thirty seconds. If they ain't laughing in thirty seconds, they gonna boo your ass right out of here. I'm like, all right, that's good to know. <laughs> I go up there. And, you know, you're I don't know about you. I remember certain jokes that really worked and just, you know, just changed every or whatever made the moment. Let's put it that way. I said, man, I grew up in New York. I live in L.A. If I was a rapper, I have to shoot myself. The crowd was like, ah! and I was like, yeah, yeah. And, then, and then I could exhale and just enjoy being at the Apollo. That's the only memory I have of my first time at the Apollo because I was so nervous. I couldn't and you couldn't I couldn't enjoy like this is the Apollo theater. This is history. You know what I mean? Man, I was scared to death, but but it worked. You know, it worked. <laughs> and, and do you, with that line, for example, was that a line that you had sat down and written? Were yeah, you, were yeah. Were you sitting down in a in a room and writing out jokes? Yeah. What, what did that oh, look that like? yeah, I wrote that. That was a you know, I um, I still write. I love I love to write. When ideas come in my head, I start writing them down. And now I, I work the idea more on stage than I did then because then it was harder to get stage time. Mm. But that was yeah, that was my all or nothing joke. That was my opener. <laughs> that's great I mean and, and like you were scared but you knew like that was a rocking opener that you were like well it, work no here. but but it, it was true it, yeah. you know you know what I mean this is in like 94 95 when there's the hip-hop the east-west yeah. hip-hop thing that was it and yeah. I lived it because I grew up in New York and lived sure, in LA sure, so sure. so it was like yeah this is you know people laugh at the truth man they that's for me, that's what I love in comedy, telling the truth. People laugh at that. When you're, when you're sitting and writing now, when an idea comes to you, do you have any kind of 
craft or kind of technique when it comes to pulling the funny out of something? Or is it just, do you just kind of write a thought and then try and keep writing or try both and write ways, less? Both what, ways. Sometimes, sometimes I write a number of jokes. Like today, something hit me, you know, I couldn't sleep and I started writing and one joke led to another, led to another, led to another. And now I want to run these. I don't know how much, how many of them I'm going to run here, but I want to run them and see which ones are funny and see if the idea works. You know, I know the idea is going to work. If if I can make the idea work, I got to make it clear. But, but anyway, um, so that's the way it goes. Other times I just have a thought and I just start talking and it grows from there. So, and it's a mental shorthand that I've developed over the years because I've done it so much, right? But when I started, I I did this comedy writing class, and it, it was taught by a comedy writer. You know, graduation is five minutes of stand up. I got hooked. But what he said was, write out the story. He said, tell a funny story. Write out every word. Then start taking out the words that aren't funny. And then that's how you cut it down. And and I've always been that. And the, the downside of that is I'll have a premise and I'll get four jokes out of it. And I'm so anxious to move on. There's 10 jokes in the premise, but I miss those. And I like the comics who get all 10 jokes out of it. I like that, but I don't do that because I want to get to the next thing. And after last comic, I really became so much more interested in being a topical social observation guy, news guy, that you're always writing. When you when you want to be topical, you're always writing and good stuff disappears because you want to get something new. You know, I, yeah. I have bits that uh, fans remind me of and I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was funny, wasn't it? I got to do that again, yeah. and I'll bring it back because yeah, yeah. I've forgotten it. So I was looking at some of your stuff on YouTube, and um, you had some stuff about SARS. And I was like, oh, oh, yeah. That's the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, we well, COVID-19. <laughs> people are asking me about, so I had this whole bit about, you know, how we're going to, we're all going to die every two years. And it was a whole thing about, you know, um, I'm not afraid of the bird flu because I vaccinated myself with the SARS when I was yeah. shooting up on anthrax. I was drinking mad cow. And I tied them one after another. And now people are like, well, you got to bring that back. Now you got to <laughs> add the coronavirus. And I, I did, but you know what it is? My heart isn't in, into that joke anymore yeah, because okay. I did that one. It was on my first uh, Showtime special. So now I want to do something different with this one. But I, I'll still bring that up now. And then there's parts of that joke I'll still use. When you, when you have it, like just talking about bringing those things out of the premise... When you find a good premise, someone, uh, Tom Gleason, an Australian actor on, on this show years and years ago, said um, he's getting better in his advancing years as a comic. You know, the longer he's done it, he's getting better at knowing when he has lightning in a bottle. Like that's, you know, recognise And I think what he meant was recognising all oh, this premise has got something. You know, yeah. Knowing, knowing the proper starting point. You know what's funnier to me? When I'm completely wrong. <laughs> because I'm like, you know, I've been doing this long enough to... I should be able to recognize what's funny. Did I miss by that much? That's funny to me. Um, lightning in a bottle is is great. Sometimes you want it to you want it to be, but it isn't. You think it is, but it's really not. And it, and then sometimes the crowd will laugh at other things. Uh, it. Let's see what jokes have I had that have done. I've had some jokes that have done. I I do one now about high school it's well the, the the premise is me being in the middle because i've always been in the middle you know 
grew up in a black neighborhood, went to white schools, mm-hmm. right? Went to a, a really smart technical high school, was smart, did great, loved hanging out with the guys who loved to get high and mm-hmm. party and stuff like that, you know? I do comedy in Saudi Arabia and Israel. Like, everything in my life just seems to be both sides. This girl was talking about me being a Gemini, and she <laughs> got into it. And I, and I need, it's a premise I need to keep working and come up with more. But the high school bit got 10 times the laugh I expected it to get. So I kept developing that joke about being, about being a smart kid who hangs out with the okay. the uh, stoners, you know? And because and to, to me, that was a throwaway. Yes. In the, in the overall thing. But people just really responded to it, so I did it more, you know? Um, the best, it, I don't know about if... People ask, like, comics, what do comics think are funny? And you know how it is when you're in the back of the room, you're like, oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what. Umpteen years ago, I was opening for Tommy Davidson, beginning of my career, touring with Tommy, and Tommy was working with Chris Rock. They were co-headlining, touring the country. This is when I think Chris, I think, I think Chris was coming off, like, Saturday Night Live, and Tommy was coming off of um, Living Color. Anyway, they're they're both stars. It must have been about ninety six or something. Chris Rock says, "Man, there's a civil war going on. You know, on one side there's black people, on the other side there's niggas, right?" And I just heard him say that, and I was like, "That is the most genius thing." And when he, by the time he did it on Bring the Pain, yeah, yeah. it was like the funniest thing in the world. And I remembered when I first heard him say that, and I was like, because, and the reason it was such genius, it's because that's been there the whole time. Yeah. And nobody saw it. And he sure. saw it, and he said it, and it was like, damn. So, yeah, sometimes you you stumble on something. Maybe you stumble on I mean, I heard Larry the Cable Guy, that was just like a character in his act. Okay. Oh, really? When yeah. you do a few different characters? Right. It was like just an some, act out of a bit. Right. Almost. Yeah. It was just some yeah. guy he would do, some redneck character he did, and then I something a light bulb went off. Right. And he, you know, it seems to have worked out for him. Um, I don't know. You know, I try to, I try to outdo me. I don't try to get more from the crowd. I try to come up with something new. I I try to do something I haven't heard. Hmm. When something happens, like we're talking about coronavirus, and you get a bunch of people talking about it, I'm looking for an angle I haven't heard. Doesn't mean it hasn't been done, but I I haven't heard it, and that's what I look for. I it's easy to do the jokes about the Asians or about you know this or that, but I look for a joke that I that um that I haven't heard. That's that's my thing. Loyes Ogola has got a fantastic that that premise about the, I mean which is which is incorrect as of two days ago that there's been no coronavirus right. in Africa because he because he's got that lovely premise about uh, Ebola is standing there going these are my customers yeah yeah <laughs> you know? like that's mm-hmm. such a dense premise right and I, I heard someone else mention that too but but um, and that's why I stayed away from it because I did have a thought of. Um, Corona and Ebola, right? But I said, nah, I don't want to do that because anyone here is like anyone's doing that. You know sure, what I mean? Sure, so sure. 
So this is Alonzo. Straight back to this shortly. Quick plug for the Infinite Sofa, which as I'm recording this tonight, we have Ramesh Ranganathan as our special guest. We've recently had James Acaster, Russell Howard, Shafi Korsandi. Coming up, we have Nish Kumar, Sarah Millican, Susie Ruffle, Abandaman, Randy the Puppet. It's so joyful to be at the epicentre of this wonderful thing. I feel like I'm Kermit the Frog on a gyroscopic chair looking at 30 screens. It is such a warm and fun kind of a show. So wherever you're listening in the world, it's at 8pm British Standard Time or British Summer Time, depending on which of the things that stands for. And I've never known and I can't remember, even though I found out. Um, 8pm on Mondays and Thursdays. Obviously, uh, if you're in the UK on Thursdays, as ever, at 8pm, we do the clap for the NHS. And uh, so we start a couple of moments after that has concluded. Um, we don't just do one clap and then stop. But um, it is just, it's so joyful. <laughs> it's so joyful and wonderful. And we're going to be on the Twitch front page for the next four episodes. So that'll be fun. If you know anything about Twitch, apparently we can expect to be trolled by an army of crazy teenagers. But it's okay because I've got my own army of crazy teenagers. I've got some uh, Baker Street Irregulars who are going to be modding the show. A bunch of young Twitch digital natives who are going to be uh, running around putting out fires as we do the show. Exciting time stuff. Can you tell I'm 42? Anyway, so <laughs> let's get back to Alonzo in just a sec. As I mentioned, if you're in the Insiders Club, which you can join at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders, then uh, you will get all sorts of extra content. Loads of stuff. I mean, really fascinating story about Alonzo. Imagine that. Season three of a successful TV stand-up competition. You win and then the show gets cancelled before they air the episode in which you win. Imagine that. There is not a comic amongst us who would not think, just my typical luck. <laughs> so hearing how Alonzo dealt with that, absolutely fascinating. And some uh, superstar Hollywood stuff as well in that. Um, I'm, I've been in the habit, haven't I, of uh, reading out people who have been uh, subscribing to the Insiders Club. We've got some of those lovely people right here. Patrick Brown. We have Elliot Clark, Ryan Evans, Simon Kay. Uh, someone whose name I can't pronounce, but not because it's foreign sounding, because it's so English. I don't know their first name, but their surname is Henshaw Hill. Hensh Henshaw Hill. I don't think that's pronounced Henshaw Hill. I think that is probably pronounced something like Husher. Do you know what I mean? Or, or Fanshawe or something like that. One of those, like, what is it? The Featherstone whore is pronounced fans, Fanshawe. And uh, Sirencester is supposed to be pronounced Sisister. But no one knows that. Not even people who live there. Thank you to uh, Mr. or Mrs. or person uh, Hensher Hill. Uh, and also Rob Sands and Amanda Donnett. Thank you so much for joining. Um, other people have been making use of gifted subscriptions, which is wonderful. You can go to the Comedians Comedian Facebook group to find out more about that. And the Facebook group, I've been pushing people towards it for a while, and now I believe it has gained sentience. I'm so proud. There is now such a volume of quality. I don't want... I'm not going to say content. Who would say content? I'm just going to scan down the, the the top thread of the Facebook group. Obviously, there's a, there's a lot in there about the infinite sofa. Phil Minns, though, is asking who has the best comedy voice, not even meaning personality or delivery, but the voice itself. 117 comments on that. Um, we've got some twitchy stuff. We've got some questions from Don Gregory about next up. 26 people getting stuck in. Aidan McCaffrey's asked a question about opening lines. 30 comments on that. People are referencing uh, Obama's uh, episode of Comedians in Cars getting coffee. Who's your favourite act you've discovered through ComCom Pod, says Joe Hamlin. 32 comments on that. We have achieved mass, uh, what is it, what is it? it? Not escape velocity, but a kind of momentum whereby 
I don't need to post stuff anymore because it's all just going off. And when I can dip in and say, hey, let's crowdsource this. What do you think of this merch idea? What do you think of this bit of strategy? Then it's just so much fun. I'm so proud. Thank you, everyone in the in the Facebook group. I think you know how excited I am about it. Um, but uh, thank you, because I rarely take the time to stop on this uh, on the actual podcast and say thanks. Thank you all. You're doing great. And look, here's an example. I dropped in uh, on the 28th, when's that, two days ago, to try and crowdsource a one-sentence intro to the, to the Infinite Sofa Show for use on the Twitch front page. 90 comments. Good God. At least six of them were good. But thank you to those of you. <laughs> God, I'm such a cat, aren't I? I think it's the Twitch show making me... I'm I'm doing much more stream of consciousness presenting. And a couple of shows ago, I turned out to be this monster. So tune in if you'd like to see that. Here's an example lineup of the show. We have Suze Kempner on tonight. We have John Luke Roberts cursing people as a crone. We have a special celebrity drop-in from Chris Turner doing some freestyle rap for us. Ramesh Ranganathan is going to be there. Um, and Marky J, who you will have seen uh, catching a watermelon on a garden fork or spinning plates on the show, is going to be shaving his wife's head and perhaps even peroxiding it live. All of that is sprinkled around the real stars of the show, the 12 members of the public who get to sit on the sofa with me and with whom we do some really fun games, crowd work, grandmother's footsteps, musical chairs was a bit of a bust, but the Mexican wave was surprisingly effective. All of that at infinitesofa.com. Get involved, please. Let's get back to the wonderful Alonzo Bowden. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. What are your, we discussed some of your kind of superpowers. What are your kind of vulnerabilities as a comic? What sorts of oh. things are you thinking, I hope this doesn't happen? Or, or, or even elements of your comedy practice that you think, I wish I could be better at 
I wish I was better at doing characters and voices and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're pretty much you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm me. Yeah. I can't, I can't do. Other, I love people who can do other people or be crazy. Um, I don't have that imagination, like you know, like Todd Glass. I think we were talking about Todd. Yes, yeah, we were. Whatever. Yeah, gosh, he's so in the firework factory, right? Todd's whole thing is: Did you ever? Did you ever? Yeah. Right. I'm not a did you ever guy. I don't have that imagination. <laughs> and he'll come up with some crazy situation or premise. You know what I mean? Like, I have to take something real and make it funny. Yeah. So I admire people who can just pull funny out of thin air, just create two characters or create a situation or, you know, they, what would happen if a guy from the moon met a guy who was blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, I mean, and, 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 they're unable to improvise a second thing. Right. I can't even do a second thing. I had a guy from the moon and he had to meet and I was going to go with, with Australia for some reason. And that's too close to the moon. That's too close. So that, yeah, that is okay. something that is a talent. I wish I had, um, I wish I was bilingual. Bilingual people, that is one of the most amazing things to me. People who are truly bilingual can think in both languages. Incredible. And they use the word that best describes that thought in whichever language. That's amazing to me. That's why, like, the whole anti-Latino thing in the United States is like, you understand, they can speak two languages. They're smarter than all of us. <laughs> I didn't. I wasn't aware there was an anti-Latino thing. Oh, it's huge! Oh, you it's mean like huge, a, a, particularly at the moment. Or yeah, yeah, they, the nationalism, racism, and all okay. that shit. You okay. know, um, you know, and and yeah, people. That's something I wish I could do. You know, my dad was from Honduras. See, I'm I am an immigrant, right? But I never. I mean, I have the first. Like, I could play the first generation immigrant role. Yeah, okay. my dad was from Honduras. He came to the United States, became a citizen in 1939, but. At that time, you assimilated into American culture. And my dad looked black. He was Spanish, but he looked black. So he automatically became part of black culture in the United States. Okay. So him, he came with his uh, uncle and his brother, and they, they didn't speak Spanish. And you know what I mean? Like, we weren't raised speaking Spanish or anything. That's why it's funny to me when I hear comics do the immigrant thing. I'm like, I wonder if I should start doing immigrant material. <laughs> I was just going to say. Should I start playing the immigrant role? You know, a friend of mine, he said something to me one time, but it's hilarious. He said, black? That's all you got? I said, man, that shit ain't worked since the 70s. You ain't gay? You ain't got nothing? Just black? You know? So, um, I probably could, and it's, but but that's not, you know what I mean? That When I talked about gimmicks, like, yeah. if tomorrow I started suddenly being an immigrant, people would be like, what the f what kind of shit is it now i can i can i would love to find a way to make fun of the fact that i could have been an immigrant but i'm not you know what sure, i mean like yeah. i missed it because that feels like a classy <laughs> approach rather than a hacky this is the ethnicity of my parents right. so my childhood a plus b right this yeah. is the, but that would be my truth that sure. my truth is that damn i missed it i yeah. didn't know immigrant was going to be a thing <laughs> i could have rode that one you know that's my truth um and that's what, com again, that's what it comes back to, man. What's your truth? You know, that's that's my thing in comedy. What was your first routine where it was, like, explosively successful? The first bit where you went, this, this is the bit that punches my way out of anywhere. <laughs> uh, my first joke that I really loved 
was um, I had a joke that, and and I don't know what your ATMs, how your ATM machines work, but I just I said, man, having a woman is just a friend, like having nineteen dollars in a bank and looking at your ATM card. Because at the time, $20 was the minimum. And that joke would always kill. That was like, that was my first closer. Yeah, okay. You yeah, know, yeah. My, my, when I became a company, my company's called Just a Friend. Because okay. of that. Because okay. my whole thing was, my whole thing was, <laughs> and this was true. I should make this a format of the show. What's your company called? Yeah. Because I think there's always like some kind of Some joke, joke, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I had a lot of women friends. And, and this comic told me, he said, man, that's never going to work. He said, people look at you, they're not going to believe you have women friends. They think you're banging chicks all the time. It worked because it was true. And I would talk about it, and women after the show would be like, man, you're really woman-friendly. Like, And I'm like, yeah, I know, because I, I'm surrounded by women who are giving me no pussy at all. None. <laughs> they're running pussy by me to give to other people. I do not understand. They feel way too safe around me, but that was my truth. And it were and I didn't like now I can look back and see it. yeah that's why it worked because it was my truth, but um, so that was the first closer, and I have the you know I'm lucky enough to know the joke and know the moment when my career started. I was in New Faces in Montreal, and. When, when was that? How long? 97, four years in. Okay, so you were legitimately a new face. I was people new face. In, I mean, yeah, I'm I know now. No, now you get to 10 get years. To new faces, yeah. it takes a while, yeah. Right, so I'm four years in. I'm going, and I knew what it was, but I didn't know all. Like, I was lucky that I was still somewhat naive when I got new faces, but I, but it was still when they were making deals in Montreal and this and that. So I'm going, I got new faces and I'm like, man, I got to get a deal. I got And it was funny. Cause when I got the call, I'm dating this girl and I was like, I got to And she said, really not even going to take a day to enjoy that. You got it already. <laughs> just putting the next pressure on yourself. Cause that was always my thing. I want to do the next thing. Right. So I go to Montreal, new faces is in this theater audience downstairs, balcony, industry upstairs, right? I said, I don't like hockey. I said that in Montreal, Canada, crowd. Boo, boo. I said, shut up. I don't like hockey because the only thing black is the puck. Said, <laughs> now, golf, on the other hand, <laughs> right? Crowd laughing. My manager, at the end of my set, my manager literally running down the stairs, he says, you are about to make a ton of fucking money. And the key word is ton of fucking. <laughs> he said, he said, when you told the audience at New Faces in Montreal to shut up, yeah. every industry person looked down and said, who is that? Yeah. Because I didn't know I wasn't supposed to tell them to shut up. I'm a comic. That's my instinct, right? You boo me, shut up. I got, you know what I mean? So yeah. I was fortunate that I was naive enough to just do comedy and not try to play new faces, not try yes, to play the yes. game. To play the occasion. I was a comic. Yeah. All I all I knew was be and and the reason I said the reason I said that was the moment I became a comic, because like Dom was the host and Dom was like, damn, 
I thought you were just the doorman. And Chris Titus was like, hey, man, come here. We got to, you know, the comics started talking to me, right? Yeah. Because now I'm a comic. And it was, man, it changed. And the money was, I got got a deal. The money was great because I quit the day job. See, and then, you know, I've been making a living doing comedy ever since. I knock wood. I still haven't had to get another day job. So were you, when you said just that doorman thing, were you a doorman in order to get stage time at the Laugh Factory? Yeah, yeah. They, they, Jamie would, Jamie's Masada owns a Laugh factory open mic you get three minutes and jamie would review your three minutes so i do my three minutes he said listen i need a doorman you do the door i'll give you spots when people don't show up and i was like i said okay jamie but understand i'm not beating anybody up mm-hmm. like if i can't fool them with just being big mm-hmm. you better call the cops because i ain't getting <laughs> physical and he was like yeah don't worry about it and, and i never there was never really that you know but yeah, that's why I did it, man. So, and I would be hoping comics wouldn't show up, hoping somebody would be late, you know, so I could get my five minutes on stage. But it, the education was every night. I'm watching Dom Herrera. I'm watching Damon Wayans. I'm watching Chris Rock. I'm watching George Wallace. I'm watching all of these comics coming through. Drew Carey, who you know, um, just coming through doing their thing at the Laugh Factory. George Lopez and and. I'm watching every one of them, so I'm learning. I'm in, you know, I'm in college, man. That's one. Of, that's one of the roots into comedy, isn't it? I was amazed when I did the LA comedy store. Like I did a tiny set yeah. there because I was in town and I wanted to go along and do it. And uh, and I was amazed by the number of people getting up and doing. It was like eight p.m. Yeah. People doing five minutes here and there. Right. The, ama- the amount of them who were staff, who were wearing... Well, the, the comedy store intentionally does that. I think they do it so they don't have to pay them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think many people are getting paid that night. Yeah, you know, but, no, but I mean, I'm during the day, I don't even know if they're paying them. But the, the store, notoriously, is all staffed by comics. The Laugh Factory really isn't. Okay. They have some, but the store, yeah, it's all staffed by people who want to be comics. So do you meet other big comics and go, like... You were a bouncer? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Did anyone go that No, way? no. The joke is, and my, my brother loves this, is that's what I play in movies. I always play bouncer, security guard in movies. Always. And, when there's and, no possibility of a real fight. Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's that's become the running joke. I've have protect, I protected the biggest. I was uh, secret service for Leslie Nielsen. <sighs> I was security for Steve Martin. I was security for Queen Latifah. I was a doorman at a club for Ken Jeong. <laughs> I uh, yeah I I protected them all. <laughs> what has been the hardest bit of material to drop? Like as you to rotate Ooh, out a, of your that's set. That's a great question. That's a great question. Um, I really have to think about that. What's the hardest bit that I had to drop? The Obama era was good, and I had to let that go, um, you know, because it, it was over. Uh, Obama was really tough in comedy because he was so classy and funny. Ah. So it was really hard to find something funny about him or his presidency. The inverse problem of Trump. Exactly. Like it's all there on a plate, so what's the... Trump what can is you do? boring. Yeah. It's boring. Uh, but let's see. That's a, that's a great question. What is a... I got to think about that. I don't know. Off the top of my head, I, I, okay. I mean, I would literally have to look at notebooks and say, oh, yeah, that was good. I can't do that anymore. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. 
Part of the reason is because I'm always more excited about the new joke than upset about dropping the old one. That's why I can't remember what was hard to drop. Yeah. I uh, I, I only ask this of very successful people, and uh, I always have to preface it by saying that. Why aren't you more successful? Because I never promoted me. Uh, I tell young comics now, like I became the old one of the old guys about five, six years ago. <laughs> How did you Where, know? <laughs> because they started asking me questions that I remember asking at the beginning of my career. That's and when you I know knew the old, answers. Ah, that's when you know you're an old guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I never I never got into self promotion. Okay, I have the the insecurity that so many comics have, the negative self-image so many comics have, that it's very awkward for me to run out and say, look at me, look how great I am, even though I know it, even though I know on stage. You know, my brother told me, my brother's like my best judge of what I do because he knows me so well. And he said to me one time, he said, man, you really don't know how good you are at this comedy. Like, he's like, you're better than you think. Um... But I didn't I don't talk about it. You know, I don't I didn't go after the shows and hand out business cards. I didn't, you know, learn social media and all these self-promotion techniques. I never learned that. So I didn't I didn't promote myself. I thought that you just be funny and people would hear about you. You get on TV and this and that. Now, part of that is. I came along at the end of that era. That was the 80s. All the big names in the 80s got on TV, became big. So I saw that and I thought that's how you do it. And um, a few years ago, maybe three years ago, I heard a guy say something. You know when you hear something and you know you heard it before, but now you hear it, right? This guy said, nobody's responsible for making you famous. And I was like, damn. I wish I'd heard that 10 years earlier because I thought my manager would do it. I thought this publicist would do it or whatever. None of them did it. They don't do it. That's not their job. They're waiting for you to get famous so they can cash in on it. I've watched people. I watched Joe Coy. I remember when Joe Coy used to be outside the Laugh Factory every night just handing out business cards. I'm Joe Coy. Come see me. Come see me again. Come see me. Come come see me. I'm Joe Coy. I'm Joe Coy. Uh, It worked. And and he's a great comic. I'm not dismissed, but I'm saying the marketing aspect. Fluffy, Gabe Iglesias. And by the way, I knew Gabe when he started. The first time he bounced on stage in those short pants giggling, we were all like, holy shit. You talk about likable. You talk about people falling in love instantly. People love that guy. I, that, he's not He's not known to me in the UK. I know who yeah. he is. And I'll, he's one of those guys who, like, you'll get an email from a big venue saying, this guy's coming. Then you'll get an email saying, he's sold out. Oh, yeah, waiting. yeah. Oh, right, I guess he's massive. In a oh, way that, my yeah. God. But, but he, but marketing, Gabe had, like, Gabe used to bring a photographer and take pictures with everyone after the show. His photographer took the picture, and you had to give him your email to get the picture emailed. Nice. Nobody thought of that, you know. So so 
that was my biggest thing. You know, I think I told you, I was telling somebody, because I love you Brit comics. I love the comics from the UK. Other than the fact you guys are whiny. You guys, <laughs> you guys are whiny. <laughs> the funniest we, thing to me about, about? The, for, this is the funniest thing. Comics from the UK don't like things going on in the room. Waiters, waitresses, checks, oh, all yeah, of that. Of course, that's insane to us. Yeah, hey, and yeah. You know, we're like, stop whining, get to work, you know. <laughs> but Jimmy Carr, who I love, I love, I see Jimmy every summer in Montreal. Jimmy said, Alonzo, you are the most comic for dollar in the world. And I was like, <laughs> Jimmy, I don't know that that's good. I don't want to be that. But but you know, it is what it is. But yes, yeah, so that would be why I'm not famous. I didn't market myself. Even though you were coming up with Dane, who Dane was one of we the didn't first know. people that... We didn't know. I'm serious, man. We did. A couple of people knew. No, we didn't know. Okay. Dane spent $10,000 to build a website in like 2002. And I said, yeah, that's when we thought the internet was strictly for porn. We thought it was invented to download porn. Meanwhile, Dane's on there all day interacting with fans. No, we didn't know. He struck a vein. Now, part of that was because he was a big-time college comic at the time, and college kids were the first adopters and the first ones to get social media. Sure. So he was exposed to it, and he was like, oh, this this is how they communicate. I'm going to get into this circle, you know? So um, I just, listen, just this year, just not even, yeah, a couple of months ago, I finally found a real social media person who's helping me, and I'm watching my numbers grow right away you know you know how you always get people i do social media i do, and they, they're sure, full sure. of shit yeah this one she was like send me everything you've got i sent her like memory sticks and clips and this and that she started editing putting together stuff now she releases it regularly on mm -hmm. instagram and youtube and she's char she's following it and she's posted she's like give me all your pictures i'm gonna put up throwback pictures and she's doing it and she's doing a great job and I've watched my followers go up and you know she's like you will hit bonuses and that's how you'll pay for me hmm. but I don't know how your pay structure works in the UK but like in when when you do a club it's like once you sell this amount you get a bonus and then okay. you sell this amount you get a bonus okay. so the idea okay. is to hit your bonuses and she's like, you'll pay for me because you're going to hit your bonuses. Right. Um, so I'm really happy to have that, um, you know, and this is my push. And, and it's also like, what else am I going to do? You know, what else am I going to do? I mean, I could get mad about not being famous. Listen, I've been on shows. I joke where, you know, I'm the only one here, not a millionaire. <laughs> only one. Only one. And they're like, Alonzo, you're closing. <laughs> and, and I'm proud of that. And, and I have some, you know, I. Again, this this the way this thing works. You, I always say we're in the lottery business, man. You never know. You just keep working, and and I have a good life. Don't don't get me wrong. It's not like I'm struggling. You know, I I I'm a gearhead. I love cars and motorcycles. I'm able to buy them. I call it my Jay Leno starter set. You know, I got a <laughs> few bikes in a car, and I get to play. But I but I actually get to play with Jay Leno. You know, yeah. that that's the cool part. Like, I, Jay invites me on his show, and we play with his motorcycles and stuff. So, yeah, man, I I, I love what I do. I, I make a living doing something I love. And, they, you know, when they, they talk about that, and it sounds corny, but it really is true. You know, when people talk about how much I travel, I tell them, yeah, but that's because that's what I have to do to get on stage. So the work for me is get up, go to the airport, blah, 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 put up with the security and the bullshit and this and that. And now I'm going to get coronavirus and die, which, you know, is okay. Um, <laughs> as long as I get a bit out of it. 
This but, episode released in memoriam. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But but you know, the, ultimately, when you get on stage and you just love doing it, that night you were you know that that was a rocking night. That was a rocking. That night. was a rocking night. We had, that was the best crowd we've had all week, and that's when nobody's thinking how much am I getting paid. Sure. You know, my it's my manager's job, and I will bitch to my manager. How the hell is so and so getting this much money, and I'm not getting it? Blah. That's his job, mm-hmm. and and I let him do his job. I bitch to him and let him do his job. My job is to go on stage and kill. Finally, then, the I like I always like to broadside uh, comics by just asking out of nowhere. Yeah. Are, you, are you happy on stage? On stage and on a motorcycle at the two times, I can't be touched. I'm in my world and I'm happy. Um, I go to therapy. I work on learning to let myself be happy. I catch myself at times. I overthink everything. Anyone you talk to who knows me will tell you that I overthink everything. And that gets in the way of happiness. Um there were, there were times when I'm like, I'm, I'm not even sure. I'm, am I supposed to be happy? Why? You know? Uh, so, yeah, at times I'm happy when, I'm, when I stay out of my own way and when I remember, when I remember what's important, uh, when, I'm, when I'm in a place of gratitude. You know? Um, listen, man, I'm 31 years sober. You know, I'm, I'm a, a crackhead alcoholic from the 80s. So when I look at it, if I look at it in that perspective, I won. <laughs> you, you know? How did you well? <laughs> you went to aviation school, is that yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was that before or after the crack? Before. That's what I was doing. That was the career I had when I fell into the drug thing. It was the eighties. The eighties. We were all fucking doing cocaine, and it just got out of hand. Jesus. You know. And and I I found recovery. I was lucky enough to found recovery, and I got sober, and I've been sober since. And I, and I don't miss it. It doesn't bother me. You know what I yeah. mean? Uh, but but I do. You know, I remember that. You know what I mean? And it's like, man, I'm I'm in South Africa telling jokes. Yeah. And presumably <laughs> that, that that all predates your your drug and alcohol problems predate the discovery of comedy yeah, yeah. which I think is a, is the much better way round to do it than if you're a comic and you get into right, right. partying whilst you're a comic You and I, I know other comics like that who've been through addiction issues dependency issues and then discovered comedy because comedy will let you be addicted to it and oh it, yeah, it won't kill yeah. You. you can add, or you can kill yourself as a comic you know how many famous comics did drugs and alcohol kill Sure. Because we don't have to take a drug test before you go on stage. Yeah. You don't have to take a drug test before you make a movie. It's the great enabler, isn't it? Yeah, so absolutely. Just- and if you're, the machine doesn't care. You know, I talked to David Spade after Chris Farley died. I happened to work with David a few weeks after. And I was like, man, I'm sorry about your friend. I know you got it. And he said, man, they wouldn't let him stop. Mm. They said he said, man, he was making so much money off these movies. They just kept, yeah, let's do the next movie. Let's do it. And he said they wouldn't let him stop. They wouldn't let him go to rehab. They wouldn't let him change because because he's a machine, you know, um, and the machine will do that. So, you, you know, it's Hollywood is great. Hollywood is fantastic. As long as you remember, it's not real. 
but the moment you start believing it's real, it will destroy. It not it, not, it won't necessarily destroy, but it can destroy you. Mm. You got to remember that it's not real. It's a lot of fun. It's glamorous and you know, it's pretty girls and fancy cars and free food. A lot of free food, which is very good. I like the free food, <laughs> uh, but 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 you have to remember it's not real. And what flavor of therapy are we talking about that you're into now? Just, you know, I talked to a therapist about that, about, um, I guess about counseling or kind of psychotherapy. Yeah, psychotherapy, opening up, opening up emotionally, looking for that, you know, that part that's blocked off. You know, they say every comic is trying to be loved. Right. And Mm -hmm. and I don't know if that's true, but um, there's something wrong. But but, you know, a big part of it was I said, listen, and I told her I joke about this, but I said, hey. This came up with Robin Williams when Robin Williams died. All these comics talking about depression, depression. I said, bullshit. I call bullshit on because no comic, no real comic. If you said you're no longer depressed, but you're not funny. No real comic would make that trade. Wouldn't even (laughs) wouldn't even risk it. Seriously. Oh, God, that's awful. That's I mean, I don't I don't know. Do I agree with that? Would you rather be happy or funny? That's the question, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, And what you're saying is a real comic would rather be funny oh, than Oh, absolutely. But by now, a real comic, don't no, you mean someone who's depressed enough to make well, that Well, no, I mean when, it, when the comedy, real comics, the comedy's in you. Like Jerry Seinfeld, right? Goes TV, makes hundreds of million dollars free, do anything he wants. What does he want to do? Stand-up comic. Stand-up. Yeah. Chris Rock. What does Chris Rock want to do? Stand-up. Doesn't have to. You know, that's a real comic. A real comic has to do comedy. You have to get on stage. You, you. It's like you. I have to do this shit. You know. That's a real comic. Um, and and you can combat your depression. Um, Gary Goldman, who's a great friend of mine and a brilliant uh, I've comic. I've never met him. I love Gary Goldman. He, his, his special about the Great Depression, about what he and he went through a depression that was literally hospitalized, like not able to function and come out and he came out of it. And he, so you can do that. I'm not saying you have to be, I joke about you have to be, but no, you can f- work on your depression, your issues, whatever, and still be funny. They're not mutually exclusive, but that's how I walked into therapy. I was like, all right, don't, don't fix me and make <laughs> me not funny. Cause that's not going to work at all. I don't, you know, um, so yeah, so am I happy? It's happy. It's fluid. It's fluid, man. There's times when I am, and there's times when I'm not. But it, it's just there's always another show. There's always another show. So you're like, eh, this shit sucks. But I got a spot at the factory Tuesday. Um, <laughs> but is that an addiction? Have you replaced one addiction with another? Like- no, that's that's not an addiction. That's I found who I am. It's what it's it's part. You know. I don't have a job. It's it's who I am. I work with some of the... I'm lucky enough to work with some of the most brilliant jazz musicians in the world. Amazing jazz musicians. They have to make music. And there are some musicians, and if you know musicians, you know this is true. There are some musicians who can't function outside of music. They can't talk. But you give them a saxophone, and they can communicate every feeling, every nuance, every you know you 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 know this this guy's a complete nerd, but when he sits behind a piano, women cry. You know what I mean? That's because they have to do that because it's it's in them. The music is in them. Um, 
comedy's in me. I have to do once I found it, there's no way I can't do it. I can't not get on stage. I, I, the longest I can remember going without being on stage was three weeks in 27 years. That's the longest. And that was, and it was, ironically, it was because I was doing a TV show. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's something I have to do. So could you imagine retirement? No, no. Comics don't retire. We die. We die. We work till we die. That you look at those old masters, you know, George Burns doing it at 100 years. I met Rickles, man. I got to work with Rickles two years before he died. You know, you saw that. And that video that, Rickles that, rice thingy. Yeah, Rick, retire. No, you just, you find another, sometimes, okay, so you may fall off and they don't want you on TV anymore. So you might start doing cruise ships. So you might, there's a whole comedy circuit in Florida of retirement homes. Oh, comics I didn't travel, know that. retirement homes, and but this and, it, and, it, and employs <clears throat> older comics. That's what's funny, yeah, because they're the same age, they're the same generation. Yes. You know what I mean? So, you, so your fans. I remember, oh my god, a million uh, comics remember, over the age of forty listening to this. Not there are <laughs> quite a million of them have just thought oh, to Florida. I remember Bill Cosby before. You know what Bill Cosby did was horrible. But the comic tragedy is to lose his act, lose his comedy legacy, right? And I remember being at a special, or not a special, show Cosby was doing, and he said, yeah, I'm old, but my fans are old too because they grew up with him, you know? So you, so that's what happens. You're, you're the people who know you. So if you, if you fall off now, you know, Knockwood, one of the things I'm proud of one of the things I'm proud of is I still get primetime spots at the factory to improv and all of that, you know. These comics could be my kids now, literally. Are you the oldest but guy I'm in the green room sometimes? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. And people don't realize how old I am. And yeah. on this show, Robbie was like, you really, you know, I'm 57. He's like, you really 57? I was like, yeah, Robbie. And he was like, wow. <laughs> and that's really cool. Because, but, but if you keep working, you stay, you know, you try to stay relevant. You know, and I don't knock the young comics. I see young comics do shit. And I'm like, wow, that's really cool. That's this one's really funny or whatever. And they're doing something different than what I do. But they still, you know, I'm I'm the one of the old heads, but they still respect it. And it's, you know, he's still got game. Right. So yeah, I'm the veteran. Yeah, yeah. I'm the veteran who's still got game. And I joke with all of them. I'm like, yeah, when you get your TV show and you need an old guy at the barbershop or you need an uncle or something, you just remember, I'm looking for work. <laughs> and I'm looking for work until the day I die. What else are we going to do? What's a, what's a retired comic going to do? Some people, they become writers or something like that. But. Yeah, come, you know, my business manager, listen, I have a whole retirement account set up and I, you know, she does all that. And, and again, I'm lucky and it's great to have. But I'm like, Liz, am I going to retire? What the hell am I going to do? What am I, I going to go play golf? Like, no, like I'm a comic. I got to get up, you know, got to you got to get up. You got to do it. So that was Alonzo. Thank you so much to him for coming on the show. What a fascinating conversation. And it's just, I love, one of the things I love about this podcast is, is the sort of breadth of guests from who was, I can't remember who last week was. I'm so sorry. Steve McNeil, um, 
to from Steve McNeil to Alonzo Bowden. Come on, there we go. That's a, that's a lovely variety. Um, we've got Helen Zaltzman next week. Oh, no, here, hey, listen, I should have I should have led with this. I've buried the lead. Um, I am now recording live podcasts at 1pm on a Tuesday on the Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Stu Goldsmith. I'll put a link to it on the homepage at comedianscomedian.com. Don't be scared of Twitch. It's Everyone thinks, oh, it's just for gamers. In the same way that six months ago, everyone went, oh, TikTok's for 12-year-old girls. Look, don't fear new technology. I was sent a brilliant email by someone. I I'm not referring to it specifically, but it made an excellent point, which has been uh, floating around my head for a little while. Um, which is that uh, an older listener said, oh, I don't know about this, I don't know about that, you've got to make it clearer. Basically, the point was, uh, he, I think his opening remark was, your wife is right, you sounded manic on that last mini episode. Um, I take that point, but I am also legitimately excited. Uh, so his point, his wider point was that I need to be careful not to leave you behind because I'm in this whirlwind. I've slid into a post amble here, we'll keep going and then wrap up in a minute. I've slid into this kind of whirlwind of online stuff and I don't notice anymore that I'm going, join the Slack workspace and see me on Twitch and all the rest of it. I don't want you to, I don't want to lose any of you or leave you behind because all of this stuff is simple once you know how, you know? Um, but I do recognise that. Even like I know nothing about TikTok. I downloaded the app because of some fantastically excited and enthusiastic uh, South African comic uh, lady who I met at the Cape Town Comedy Festival who just went on. We thought she was stealth marketing Twitch. There's a bunch of comics backstage and she just hammered, oh, sorry, TikTok. She hammered how good TikTok was for like half an hour until we we're all like, all right, I'll download the app. Shut up. <laughs> I don't remember your name, fabulous comedian lady, but you were funny and wonderful. Um, so I was scared of TikTok. I've downloaded the app. I've done nothing with it. I appreciate that new tech is scary. However, what I will do is I will uh, set up at comedianscomedian.com a bit of a bullet point list of all the things I'm doing and what they mean in as simple a term as possible. My friend Carl, a friend and mentor, Carl, is um, he's forever saying he works with websites. And one of the things he's not forever saying this, he said it once and I think it every time I think of him, is that you need to design a website as if Homer Simpson is operating it. That is not to suggest that any one person, far less someone who emailed me, is anything like the intellectual capacity of Homer Simpson. What I mean is that because thousands of people go to the website, someone's going to trip up unless you make it completely simple and clear. So I'm going to try and do that. Apologies if anyone feels a bit left behind in the last couple of weeks worth of me going giddy and yes, I confess, a bit manic. So that's all of that. Um, thank you to Alonzo. Thank you so much to Jake Crossland for logging the episode. The music was by Rob Smout and Pete Dobbing is your podcast consultant. And Nathan Wood edited, uploaded and produced the show. I want to give a big thout, uh, a thout out, which is like a thanks, but in a shout out form. A thout out to uh, Callum Morin and David Hoare, who have been helping me loads with The Infinite Sofa. And to Tony C, fabulous comic uh, from Portland, Oregon, now based in Bristol, who has been doing brilliant work with Chops. If you haven't been to Chops Comedy, go to chopscomedy.com and you will see me, often me, hosting some new material. The other night we had Sarah Keyworth, we had Matt Reese, we had Nathan Caton, we had Come On Goldsmith, who else was on the show? Everyone was brilliant. Everyone was brilliant. Um, uh, oh, oh, Andrew O'Neill and Olga Koch. Every single person destroyed and we all had a wonderful time. And it was it's great. Don't panic. Comedy hasn't gone anywhere. It's gone online is where it's gone. And who knows if everyone that goes online will come back when live comes back, because live will come back in some form or other. 
come to Chops Comedy, 8pm on a Tuesday, chopscomedy.com, check that out. And finally, finally, um, amongst all the other stuff, um, the working lunches have been great. I don't know if I have the time to do any more of them, but if you are interested in a professional development chat with me, a one-to-one coaching session about your comedy career, um, they are sort of like micro comcom mentoring things, right? It's about helping you get out of your own way. I've got some wonderful testimonials from people. Jasky Singh in Perth says that Stu has made me think about writing comedy in a way I wouldn't have considered otherwise. His mentorship has allowed me to access the deep, vulnerable and humorous truths that are actually more impactful than the surface stuff I was doing otherwise. That is such a good... Thank you, Jasky. I think that's a really good description of what it is I'm trying to do, which isn't joke writing or directing. It's more just sort of helping you dig a bit deeper and be the best you can be. Or at least the truest you can be which is often the funniest you can be so something like that if that appeals get in touch comedianscomedian.com slash lunch that's all the things i feel like i've solidified the stuff um there is a uh, there's a virtual mac i'm doing virtual mac i'm doing a sort of wandering around from venue to venue virtual experience which will be wonderful it has to be password protected so i can't tell you how to get into it now but if you are in the ComCom Facebook group on Saturday the 2nd of May. That's this coming Saturday in just a few days, if you're listening to this immediately. Congratulations to you. Here is your reward. Get in the ComCom Facebook group. I will probably put the password in there last minute so that it doesn't get swamped. The password is going to go to the McCuncliffe Comedy Festival mailing list so that everyone on that mailing list can come in and join this massive... um, It's like an enormous Zoom room in which you can walk towards and away from people and their audio and video decreases or increases... Uh, respectively, but possibly the other way around, um, such that you can be in a Zoom conversation but wander off and have a chat with people. There's going to be some surprises in that room as well. So get on the ComCom Facebook group for that. And that is that for now. There's going to be a special Infinite Sofa Mac with Josie Long, Johnny and the Baptists, um, and uh, a a brief, we hope, a brief simulcast appearance from Mark Watson during one of his 24-hour marathons, and the brilliant Rob Kemp, uh, and also... Someone accompanying Rob Kemp, who may or may not be Rob Kemp. InfiniteSofa.com has got all you need. Thanks so much for listening. There's no time for a post-amble in any way. That was quite ambly. But, oh, as a final note, thank you everyone that responded to my kind of, (laughs) my plaintive cry last week. Shall I keep going? I am keeping going. So next episode is Helen Zaltzman, because earlier this week on Tuesday at 1pm on twitch.tv slash Goldsmith. I did a live record with Helen Zaltzman. So you can watch it live there on the Twitch channel or you can wait. We're going a week. We're a week ahead of ourselves now, thanks to this episode. So next week, Helen Zaltzman. But also next week on Tuesday, 1pm, I'm interviewing Brett Goldstein. It's kind of a non-com pod, a non-commissioned podcast, uh, which isn't quite a com-com pod, but um, is a sort of a, a friendly, investigative, fun chat for which I need to do no research and no guest will cry. That's the plan. Um, so join me at 1pm and uh, that's what I'm doing on Tuesdays. That might move to Wednesdays, just to thin the week out a bit. But that's the plan. So now the podcast is going to be streamed live on Twitch and then chopped up into the main episode and the extras. So next week's episode here on the podcast in your usual feed, Helen Zaltzman, one of my podcast mentors, a good friend, 
the uh, co-creator of the brilliant Answer Me This and the current creator and host of Current Creator and the creator and host uh, of The Allusionist, which is a fabulous, very funny podcast about language on the Radiotopia network. She won the, I can't remember what it was called, we talk about it, but she won the sort of in, internal podcasting awards, the British Podcast Award for basically being the podcast godmother. She's so kind and giving of her time and so intelligent and uh, and she has a real piercing intelligence and she's just light years ahead of everyone else. So listen to that next week. Goodbye. <laughs> this is my new outro. Goodbye. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.